0: Welcome to part three in the Darwin on Creation series. (sighs) Such a title. Anyway, um, so so far we've talked about some introductory material. We've talked about uh, the 24-hour view. That was last time. This time we get into something called the Gap Theory. The other title for it is Ruin and Reconstruction. So, this gap theory, where did it come from? Um, it turns out that it kind of got its footing in 1814 with a man named Thomas Chalmers. Um, he was, I think, an Irish priest, if I remember right. And he was also a bit of a geology buff. And when he was looking at geology things, he was seeing evidence. As, in fact, around this time, the early 1800s, there was a bit of a scientific explosion where, where geology and astronomy were starting to discover new things and were starting to discover some, some indications that the Earth was, was older than six to 10,000 years. Well, Chalmers was wrestling with this. Um, and there were other discussions at that time of multiple floods, multiple floods, and he began kind of trying to put two and two together and trying to, to reconcile all of this in his brain. And he came up with this notion of a gap, a gap between Genesis 1 and chapter Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So here's kind of the way it goes. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That would be the perfect creation. God created everything and it was perfect. Because the God that we serve would not have created some half-baked, chaotic world that we find in verse 2 where the earth was formless and void. Why would he have stopped halfway? He would have created something fully formed and perfect from the start. And then the thought is that in verse 2, when our English translation says, now the earth was formless and void, that that word was could also, the Hebrew word for was could also be trans- translated became. Now the earth became formless and void. And that changes everything. Because if the phrase says, and the earth became formless and void, that implies something happened to change it. So if we were to go look at Jeremiah 4.23, we see a description of judgment, God's judgment on the earth, um, judging the people of Israel um, for their sin. Of course, we see this a lot in the Old Testament. But the interesting thing is that Jeremiah describes the, the land after God had judged it. And the description of that land after God judged it was formless and void and dark. It's a real strong parallel for Genesis um, 1 2, which says the earth be- was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. In fact, the Hebrew words, tohu and bohu, that we find in Genesis 1 are the same exact Hebrew words we find over in Jeremiah. So, huh, maybe there's a parallel between Jeremiah, which is God's judgment, and this whole state of being formless and void and dark. Then in Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, 19 and 22 talks about the earth being subjected to bondage and decay, which indicates it's no longer perfect. And it was subjected by God, turned into something which was no longer perfect. Then the third puzzle piece here is in Isaiah 14, um, verses 12 through 14, where Isaiah is 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 prophesying and he's seeing a vision and he's he's telling us a story of Satan being cast to the earth <clears throat> because Satan decided to become like God, and because of that God cast him to the earth. so the question was, when was Satan cast to the earth? Well, if you put these three thoughts together, that the formless and void and darkness is evidence of God's judgment. And Romans said that creation was subjected to bondage by God and that Satan was cast to the earth. The theory here is that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, that was when the war in heaven happened and that was when Satan was cast to the earth. So God had created this perfect earth. Then there was a rebellion in heaven. Satan was judged, cast to the earth. And as part of that, somewhere along the line, possibly because Satan decided to mess with creation. Now that he was on the earth, he decided to mess with creation and and mutate the animals and turn small lizards into giant, terrible lizards we call dinosaurs. And God eventually came and said, enough, enough, and judge the earth with a flood. Hence, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the waters. Evidence of a water. And we know, of course, that God had judged the earth another time with Noah's flood. So we know that judging the earth through a flood is not, is not a new thought. So that's the basic idea. A gap in time between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. And during that time, Satan cast to the earth, God judges the earth, Um, with something that's just called the Lucifer flood. And then what do you do with the six days of creation? Well, those days are no longer initial creation. Those are days of restoration or redemption. So then, with this chaotic, empty and void, dark remnant that's left after God judged it, then God restores it by bringing light back and by creating a a, a heavens or a firmament to separate the waters, to push the waters out of the way, kind of get rid of the water and begin once again to provide a place where people could eventually live. Sounds like a crazy view, doesn't it? Well, it turns out that there's a Bible uh, theologian, his name is Dr. Walter Martin. He had a radio program back in the 80s called the Bible Answer Man. And I think he subscribed to this because he described this notion of Satan messing with uh, the earth and uh, causing strange mutations and giants and stuff and God eventually judging it. Um, Let's see what else we have here. So, what are the positives? What are the observations with this view? Now that we've kind of talked about it, built a case for it, what, what are the observations? Well, This view gives much better harmony between Genesis and the scientific world or general revelation. General revelation, of course, in Romans 1, uh, the Bible tells us that we can see God's attributes just from examining the world around us. So this view produces a better harmony between Genesis 1 and especially the old Earth information that comes out of geology and astronomy. Um, this view still maintains that the days are calendar days. Um, It reduces pressure on the ordering events since the days are redemption rather than creation days. So here's an issue with with the 24-hour day calendar view, an issue we didn't mention last time, and that is the order of things as they are created doesn't match the best scientific understanding of the order in which things happened. Genesis has... Land, plants, being created first. That's the first living thing was land, plants. Scientific evolution says the first living thing was in the water. Bacteria, microbes in the water, plants in the water. Um, so there's, there's, there's disconnects between them. Um, well, this view with, with this, this gap theory provides all kinds of ability for things to happen before Genesis 1-2. Okay, so it reduces pressure on the ordering because days uh, one through six, as recorded, are days of recreation. They don't have to be in order because these things were already created. They're just being cleaned up and restored. So who supported this view? Well, it turns out that this crazy view was a major uh, feature of the Schofield Reference Bible, which was the most influential reference Bible of the 21st century. John Schofield wrote this this reference Bible. He was a believer in it. He wrote it into the margin notes of his reference Bible, and it became ridiculously influential. So influential, in fact, that the NIV, NIV 84, when you look at the translation where it says, and the earth was formless and void, there's a little star. And if you look at the bottom of the page, it says, or became. There's also some people have heard of called J. Vernon McGee, um, through the Bible, radio, he has been a radio teacher forever. He believed in this approach. He believed in, in, in this gap theory. So it's not just a few crazies here and there. There are some pretty good, heavy theologians who buy into this, okay? Has some pretty good support for it. Of course, every one of these views has questions or issues, and what are they? Well, the first one is there's really not enough exegetical support for verse 2 being translated, and the earth became formless and void. The word there for was really is a word for was. There's, there's, you're hard-pressed from the Hebrew to come up with an alternate translation. You have to kind of read it into it. Um, the second is that there's uh, argument from silence. Genesis doesn't say anything about Satan being cast from heaven or that the waters were there because of a flood or restoration, that these creation days are restoration. It doesn't say that. So you have to argue by taking other portions of Scripture and kind of hooking them together and forming this story, um, which is kind of an argument from either an argument from silence or an argument from indirect connection. There's nothing in Genesis that would naturally lead you there. Another criticism of this is that it does allow for death and suffering before the fall. Because if there was a gap, and if that gap represented millions of years, well, you'd expect during those millions of years that there would be just the natural processes happening, which means animal death, animal predation, all the stuff happening normally, death and suffering within our, within our world before the fall. Um, the other challenge to this is, once again, Exodus 20, verse 11, the new the, the Ten Commandments, that says that creation happened in six days, all of creation in six days. Exodus doesn't really allow for a gap between the beginning of creation, verse 1, and the end of creation. It's all six days. Um, and it turns out that this view, while once fairly widely held, or at least Considered pretty promising, is no longer widely accepted. So it kind of had its day in the sun. It's kind of kind of faded from from um, spotlight since then.